0: Welcome to the Prince and Evangelical Free Church podcast. I'm John Padno, the lead pastor here at PEFC, where it is our desire to equip people to grow together in Christ. Our hope is that this podcast is a help and an encouragement to you this week. May God bless you as you listen. Good morning. Would you open up your Bibles here to Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4. For those of you who are new, my name is John Pannot, I'm the senior pastor here at Princeton Free. It's an honor and privilege to be able to teach and preach and to study the Word with you this morning. Uh, If you're new here and you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible. We have these really nice Bibles that we bought specifically just to give away to people uh, who don't have one, to a church, specifically a new church, uh, sometimes you're like, uh, it's not the same translation of the Bible that I'm used to. We'd love to let you use ours. We'd love to even still give you ours to study along with us. Um, and on that same, you know, note of blessed to be a blessing, I tell you this, church, we didn't buy these to just collect dust. right? We bought these so people... Would read it would read god's word and so if you know somebody who you're talking to about jesus or you just know somebody you know they don't have a bible take one like take it and give it to them right but take it and maybe it's a reminder that that the lord is saying you know what you need to pray for that person that the time would be right that you could give them a bible and you could study it with them before we jump in would you pray with me here Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for all the abundance of mercy and grace that you give us. We thank you for the resurrection power that lives and resides in us. And and from the ashes of death and sin, Lord, we rise with you in newness of life. And what a great honor and privilege that is. And so, Father God, as we begin to uh, read your word, as we begin to search out What you are saying to us here today, Father God, I pray that you would make the appropriate application as you see fit, that your Holy Spirit would be active in our lives, and and I think for most of us, your Holy Spirit is so active, uh, but Lord, just apply it, Uh, transform us. That is, Lord, that is what I pray this morning, that we would be transformed, not just informed by your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we begin here this morning, uh, many of you may remember in the Gospels, there was a time where to the Lord Jesus and asked the Lord Jesus, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus' response was this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second commandment is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments, right, depend on all the law and the prophets. In other words, all the law, all the prophets, all the Old Testament, all find simple, right? But what does it mean, what would it look like if the church really loved God and really loved others well? That is what we read inside of Acts chapter 4, verse 32. We have this summary of what it really looks like to practically live out loving God and loving others. Look at it with me. It says, Now all the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and soul. They were of one mind on the cornerstone foundation that is Jesus Right, they've surrendered and given their life to Jesus. And because they surrendered and gave all of their life, all their possessions, all of their future to Jesus, says that no one said that they had any things that belonged to him were his own. Because they didn't own it. It was, it was God's. It was the creator of the universe who owned it. And they had everything then in common and with great power that is boldness and effectiveness the apostles were giving the testimony about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and there was this great grace there was like a favor midst of them now what you don't have in your english translation is something called a gar an explanatory gar in the greek what luke actually wants us to do is he wants to explain what a great gospel impact, and a great gospel living out really looks like. He said and explains that there was not a needy person that was even among them. That's how you know the gospel was. For as many were owners of land or houses, they sold them, and they brought the proceeds of what was sold, and they laid it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles distributed it to everyone who had need. I mean, think about something more bold than to do that. And so this morning, I want to ask for your land. I'm just kidding. I do not want to ask for your land. Right, so let's back up the train here. Uh, If you were to ask the Lord Jesus today, are the two greatest commandments to love God and love others, would he say yes? I think he would. I think he would say yes. I think that truth is constant. And yet we get messed up sometimes because what we see in the book of Acts is a description of in that season at that time how God was calling them to live boldly in their community of faith. So maybe that is, could Jesus call you to sell some possessions and to give it to the church in order that they could distribute the money? Absolutely, Jesus can call you to do that. Could Jesus call you to do other things as well? He as a church and why studying the book of Acts, this is where we're trying to bridge that gap to say, okay, Lord, what does it look like for us in our time to be bold in our faith, be effective in our witness, and for everyone around would say God is in their midst, right? There is this great favor of the Lord that is with everything that they're doing. And for that, we're going to transition and we're going to look at three portraits of people that were in in this community that seems like they could do no wrong, right? The first one is Barnabas. I want to be your Barnabas. I want to be your Barney. Barnabas means son of encouragement. This is one of the servants of the church that God is using to build up this body. It says in verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he gladly brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. He saw what God was doing and wanted to be a part of it. This isn't the last time we hear about Barnabas. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, we see Barnabas come up throughout it. And so we're going to look at what does it mean for us to be a Barnabas? What might that look like? The first passage I have here is Acts chapter 9. It says Barnabas took this guy named Saul, who later became Paul, right? Do you remember Saul? He was murdering Christians. And then he was like, oh, by the way, I I changed teams. I'm on your side now. Do you think the apostles trusted him? Barnabas took Paul and he brought him to the apostles. And he vouched for him. He declared to them how on the road that Paul, he met Jesus. He is transformed. And not only that, but he preached boldly the name of Jesus. And so this is what God is doing. We need to bring him in. To our community. So I think for some of us. For some of you today. Uh, God is calling you to be someone's Simply to take a chance. In bringing someone. Into your group of friends. Into your sphere of influence. I mean kids and adults. All alike. Uh, we all can be very intimidated. By people we don't know so well. Right whether it's kids at a lunch table. Or adults in a break room. Or senior dining, right? Do you guys know everybody in senior dining? No. There's sometimes people who don't really have a community around them. And so you can be someone's by saying, hey, I want you to come and be a part of my community. I want to invite you to be a part of my friend group. I want to invite you to play with me at recess. Maybe it's something simple as giving someone a chance. Uh, Many of you... I know, have taken lead roles in even the ministry here. Maybe some of you take lead roles at work, and maybe you can be a Barnabas in someone's life by letting somebody else take the lead, even though you know how to do it. Maybe, for some of you, being a Barnabas is inviting someone to be along, come along, and be a part of something that you've done by yourself for years, by yourself, that God's going to say, I want you to call such and such to bring them along, to be a part of it. Barnabas, we see in Acts chapter 11, uh, he ministers to this church in Antioch. The church in Antioch, many of them found themselves running away from persecution. And it says here that when Barnabas came and he saw what God was doing, he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. He, if you read on your own, you the people to continue to encourage them. Being a Barnabas this week, for some of you, it might be seeing what God is already doing around you and committing to an extended amount of time and energy in that one specific area. Sometimes when we think of the word exhortation, we think of it in maybe a negative sense, right? We think of it like, uh, my parents exhorted me, meaning I didn't clean my room and they dropped the hammer. But that's not what, that's not what Luke means. That's not a biblical idea of exhortation. Uh, the Greek word in exhortation is actually the combination of two words, para, which means what's a parapro, right? Side by side. And kaleo, which means, as it sounds, coming alongside in order to call out to them a deeper truth. In this case, for Barnabas, he is coming alongside people and calling them towards an area in life that they can continue in faithfulness and purpose. And so for some of you this week, you need to be a Barnabas. You need to come alongside somebody. You need to make a personal call of encouragement. Maybe it's like, uh, how many of you guys watch college football? High school football? That's good. One person. Great. All right, two. Uh, Anyone watch the Gophers game yesterday afternoon? Right? Uh, It may seem simple, but the holder for field goals held the ball, big idea, held the ball, and the kicker kicked it, and it went in. We think this is simple, right? Little did we know, the kicker had been battling He was a promising quarterback in high school. Probably thought he'd never play again. I think his leg is like a metal rod. And here he is, holding that ball. And where does he run as soon as he's done? He runs to his coach. His coach gives him a big hug. His coach is wiping away tears. Y'all have seen that coach running down the sidelines with their player, encouraging them. That's what God is calling some of you to do. It may seem like someone's running hard after what God is calling them to, and you need to run hard alongside them and encourage them for a time. Maybe you need to encourage a leader who just sees them. Even in little things, God sees them. Maybe it is, as we watched in the video, maybe it is as simple as buying someone a meal. It can really be as simple as telling someone you're praying for them. Last but not least, we see Barnabas. He wanted to take with them, being Paul and Barnabas, he wanted to take John Mark with them. And we think, that why is that a problem? Well, see, John Mark had some character issues. To the point where Paul said, no, I don't want to be with John Mark anymore. John Mark has hurt me. He has failed in ministry. He shirked his duties he ran and left. I don't want him with me anymore. And Barnabas says, no. He still has this faith in John Mark. He still has a calling to mentor John Mark. And so maybe this is what you're called to do this week is to think perfect, right? Even if they're a little, as we might say in Minnesota, rough around the edges, right? We love that phrase. And maybe it's just not giving up on someone who's in the midst of brokenness. Maybe someone who's in the midst of failure. Uh, Some of you, maybe, you know, you're a manager, yourself, maybe with your own kids, some of you have felt burned by people you've invested time into. And it can be kind of trust him again, John Mark ends up proving himself worthy. He, he ends up being restored in his standing and doing great things for the kingdom. And so uh, I just think, you know, if Barnabas and Paul would have been like, we're the two best friends that anyone could know and left John Mark at home, I don't know where John Mark would have been. Maybe still at home. Never really doing what God had called him to do. So that's Barnabas. God's calling you to be a son of encouragement in someone's life. Turn to the person next to you and say, I don't want to be an Ananias. That has a certain flow to it. I don't want to be an Ananias. It's a good thing to say to your spouse. Stop being an Ananias, okay? But we see that literally we're given these portraits as direct contrast in the same church that seems to be growing and thriving. It says, but in the same way, there was a man named Ananias, and he's with his wife Sapphira. And he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter told Ananias, he said, look, man, what's your deal? Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Everyone say, lie to the Holy Spirit. And to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of this land. No, You don't have to sell your land to be a part of this church. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You, you, you could have said, I, I'm given half of it. That's not an issue. But why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? heart issue but here's the thing you have not lied to man but you lied to god when ananias he heard these words and something crazy happened he fell down and breathed his last right on the spot and great fear came upon all who heard it and the young men rose and wrapped him up carried him out and buried him someplace no funeral and his wife doesn't even have a clue Death by shock, maybe? Satan had dared him to do this. Maybe for Ananias, it was the pride of thinking he would never get caught. Does Satan, like, debate us with sin to say, oh, you can do that, you'll never get caught, right? Maybe Ananias was just trying to appear more spiritual and gain standing in the church through dishonest gain. Whatever the case He didn't count the cost. As Albert Muller says, if we set our hopes on is the standing in a public sense in front of other people pleasing men, uh, if we put our hopes in these things, we'll find that at best we're sorely disappointed or that at worst we, like Ananias, walk a dangerous path of hypocrisy. Peter says you have lied to the Holy Spirit. So if Barnabas is a son of encouragement building up the church, Ananias is, at the very least, not building at all. He's not building because he's lying. He's withholding from the Holy Spirit who is trying to build the church. So how do we lie or withhold from the Holy Spirit? Maybe one thing to get through first to kind of think through this a little bit. Uh, So who does... Ananias lied to. He lies to the Holy Spirit, right? Um, Later on, he says something interesting, though. He says, you have not lied to man, but you've lied to God, right? So this is an important idea. This is an important doctrine, this idea that the Holy Spirit is, in fact, God, right? The Holy Spirit is God- But not only that, the Holy Spirit is not a force like we oftentimes think of it, right? How does Peter communicate his relationship, Ananias' relationship to the Holy Spirit? He says, you have lied to the Holy Spirit. Now, can you lie to a force? Uh, That doesn't really work. Can you lie... So, God the Holy Spirit is not only God and seen as God, but also seen as a person to interact with. And this helps us not just from false doctrine or something like that, but I think this helps us in thinking through what it means to lie or withhold from the Holy Spirit. Thinking of a relational sense. That is, we lie and withhold from the Holy Spirit sometimes by not communicating. Now, how many of you live with a roommate? How many of you live with a roommate you call your spouse? How many of you live with some roommates you call children? Now, what would happen if you just... ...your relationship on a scale of very connected to not connected at all? You say that's not very connected at all. And that's the same true with the Holy Spirit. We withhold from the Holy Spirit when we don't actually communicate with Him. We don't actually take time to pray but not only that how many of you would call your closest best friend those that you merely talk about the weather with right you wouldn't call them your best friend right you talk about the weather with people that you're a little bit let's be honest a little bit uncomfortable with or you don't know them very well and it's sort of this surface level conversation now i think Some of them about the weather instead of talking to them about real things. You know, we say, oh, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm praying for my day. I'm going to do this and this and this. Okay, Siri, put it on my calendar. Right? That's, That's not real communication. But rather, that is a way that we withhold ourselves from really the Holy Spirit working and speaking into the different things that are happening in our day or in our week. We lie or withhold from the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit tells us to pray for people, to act, or to encourage people, and we choose not to listen. How many of y'all have that friend, they call you up, and they say, oh, you know, I've got so much going on, i got to come and talk to you. You know, this and this and this is happening. i got to come down. They come over to your house, they sit down at your table, they just kind of vomit verbally everywhere about all the things going on in their life, And then give some advice and you say, hey, you know, you need to stop picking your nose. You need to stop doing this. You need to stop doing this. Like, this would really help you out. And they're like, yeah. And then they leave and they don't change anything, right? They don't listen to what you say. Right? We are that friend. Right? We say, oh, you know, Holy Spirit, I want you to use me. I want to be bold. You know, I want my neighbors to come to know Jesus. And then... You know your neighbor peeks out from their house, and, and the Holy Spirit's like, "Oh, go talk to him." And you're like, "Yeah, no, 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 that's I'm good, I'm good, not now." I guess I'm the only one who has that happen to him. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, "Don't be a Sapphira. One last point is that, you know, if we continue to lie and withhold from the Holy Spirit, we keep our life segregated, you know, taped off from God to being able to transform. Uh, The question becomes, how will God ever use us in the way that he has desired us to? After about an interval, about three hours, verse 7, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter said to her, he gives her a chance, he says, He says, look, tell me what you sold the land for. Did you sell it for such and such a month? You know, and she thinks to herself, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit's just like, warning, warning, warning. But she said, yeah, I sold it for that much. We sold it for that much. We gave it all to you. And Peter said, how is it that you have agreed together with your stupid husband to test the spirit of the Lord? He says, behold, the feet of those who have buried her, she falls down dead, and they carry her out, and they bury her, beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard these things, because I'm sure they thought they're going to come to church, and they're going to fall down dead. I mean, right? It seems crazy to us, but Uh, In a Jewish audience, what does he say? He says, you have tested the Lord, and that would bring their mind back to a time where Israel did test the Lord, right? Deuteronomy 6.16 says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And even so, he gets, what happened there? All the congregation, the people of Israel, they moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, okay? So the Israelites are moving along in the wilderness. Who is leading them? Yeah, Moses, but ultimately, who is leading them stage by stage? God is leading them. Who is providing their very practical needs as they're living in the desert? God is providing their very practical needs as they're moving from stage to stage in the wilderness. So they camp at a new spot, and they realize there's no water to drink. Do they think, okay, well, we're a people who are loved by God, and we've been you know, led by God the whole way. No. We read here, it says, therefore, they panicked, and the people quarreled with Moses. And they grumbled, and they said, Moses, give us water to drink now. And Moses said to them, why are you barking up my tree? Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the land? You see, there's a, a truth that we got to come to grips with, church, and I think it's the truth that every church needs to come to grips with if they want to be unified, if they want to be effective, and that is this, that quarreling and grumbling eats away at the church. That's all it does. It's like acid. Quarreling and grumbling, it uses language that divides. It says us versus them those who are in the midst of quarreling and grumbling, they desire to point the finger rather than move forward with somebody. In other words, uh, this is how it plays out is uh, that when a problem occurs, and, and are there problems that occur in the church? Are there disagreements to be had? Are, are even some leaders, do some leaders even fail? Absolutely. But instead of this is our problem, right, this is our thing that we need to fix and move forward, it's This is your problem and you need to fix it. Were Ananias and Sapphira's issues the community's issues? Yeah. They absolutely were. And as we see with Moses is that it shows a lack of respect for leadership, even godly leadership, but ultimately it calls into question God's provision. Are we not a people who are not cared for? Do we need to Take what is owed to us? I think quarreling and grumbling proves that we, at the very least, we've forgotten how God has proven his faithfulness time and time again. And that moon, as much as we might have hoped. Remember, the Israelites were being led in stages? Did they really mature from one stage to the other? Or did they forget? So as we come to this, you know, what did the early church really learn from this? What were they supposed to glean from this? I think it's this, that God is holy. Amen? They needed to realize that God is holy and God's purpose of purity, of authenticity in his church, it reflects his holiness. as I was studying this and thinking about the idea that uh, Jesus' church is holy, I was reminded of a passage in 2 Chronicles. Now, 2 Chronicles is, is back in the day when they made a literal, physical temple for the Lord to dwell in. And specifically in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, what we see is Solomon is dedicating this temple in front of all the community that Uh, assisted in, in making this immaculate place for the Lord to dwell in their midst. And as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, it says that fire came down from heaven and it consumed the burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests, they could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled it. And when all the people saw the fire come down from heaven and all the people saw and knew the glory of the Lord had filled the temple, they all bowed down on their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped. I mean, they, I can just see it. They, and you could hear all their voices giving thanks to the Lord saying he is good. His steadfast love, his covenant love endures forever. What a reverence. What an awe that they had for where the glory of the Lord dwelled. This last summer when I was in Israel, I got to visit part of the wall that still exists. The western wall of that same temple. And there are people that go up to these dead stones and they pray. They pray and they worship. Now, could you imagine if I would have gone up to that wall with all these people worshiping and praying and spit on it, stepped up to that wall and kicked it or threw a rock at it. I wouldn't be here today. I can tell you that much for sure. It would seem inconceivable. Who would treat it with such disrespect and irreverence, right? Even though the glory of the Lord doesn't dwell there, nobody treats it with that disrespect and disgust. And yet Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians, do you not know that you're God's temple? And that God's Spirit dwells in you. And so if anyone does, if anyone disrespects God's temple, if anyone throws rocks at it, if anyone kicks at it, if anyone spits at it, if anyone tries to destroy it, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. See, church, I think, I think we find it way too easy to be irreverent and to destroy God's church. To make, sense. And I also think it can be all too easy to cease from being the vibrant living stones we were created to be. I think there are some in our church that have just been sitting there for a while. And I think this passage, no, nobody sent me nasty emails or something like that. That's, that's not why I say these things. This passage isn't just to remind us of what not to do, to not withhold or lie to the Holy Spirit or not to quarrel or grumble. But really, uh, this passage gives us something, not just takes away. It gives us something. It gives us a calling for us to be a Barnabas, to be a servant of the church's church building up to be a living stone, that it would be strengthened. And maybe there's someone here today, you don't know what I'm even talking about when I'm talking about living stones and dead stones. Maybe some of you have never actually given your life to Jesus. And I'd love to talk to you about any of those things. Maybe you've spent your life, maybe you grew up in church, but you've never actually felt like and this I can say confidently is that God wants you to be a part of his building, his church, and God also wants you to be a part of his work in strengthening and continuing to add living stones to this glorious building. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord, and, and as I prayed for service, Lord, I just think, you know, uh, we do, we thank you so much for those sweet words that are like honey to us Uh, those words of uh, encouragement in our life they are so easy to accept and father god i pray also for those words that are sharp those words that are in in a sense like a disinfectant in our lives those words that are hard And Father God, as Ananias and Sapphira, they had hard and tangled hearts. And Father God, that's us too. And we need you by the power of your Holy Spirit to tangles us and entraps us in order that we might live out that joy in you every day. So Father God, how you desire to apply this, I trust you will make it known to each and every one of us this week. Let us be confident that your word is always true, it's always sure, and it never comes back to us empty, but always bearing fruit. Let us commit ourselves to you today, to being the living stones you have resurrected us to be. In Jesus' holy and precious name do we pray today and tomorrow and for eternity. Thank you for listening to today's podcast and consider subscribing and sharing with others. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please go to PrincetonFree.com. God bless.